Part One, Chapter Twenty Seven of Anna Karenina, read for LibriVox.org by Kirsten Ferreri. The house was big and old-fashioned, and Levin, though he lived alone, had the whole house heated and used. He knew that this was stupid. He knew that it was positively not right and contrary to his present new plans. But this house was a whole world to Levin. It was the world in which his father and mother had lived and died. They had lived just the life that, to Levin, seemed the ideal of perfection, and that he had dreamed of beginning with his wife, his family. Levin scarcely remembered his mother. His conception of her was for him a sacred memory, and his future wife was bound to be, in his imagination, a repetition of that exquisite, holy ideal of a woman that his mother had been. He was so far from conceiving of love for woman apart from marriage, that he positively pictured to himself first the family, and only secondarily the woman who would give him a family. His ideas of marriage were consequently quite unlike those of the great majority of his acquaintances, for whom getting married was one of the numerous facts of social life. For Levine it was the chief affair of life, on which its whole happiness turned. And now he had to give up that. When he had gone into the little drawing-room where he always had tea, and had settled himself in his armchair with a book, and Agafea Mihalovna had brought him tea, and with her usual, well, I'll stay a while, sir, had taken a chair in the window, he felt that, however strange it might be, he had not parted from his daydreams, and that he could not live without them. Whether with her or with another, still it would be. He was reading a book and thinking of what he was reading, and stopping to listen to Agafea Mihalovna, who gossiped away without flagging, and yet with all that, all sorts of pictures of family life and work in the future rose disconnectedly before his imagination. He felt that in the depths of his soul something had been put in its place, settled down and laid to rest. He heard Agafea Mihalovna talking of how Prohor had forgotten his duty to God, and with the money Levine had given him to buy a horse, had been drinking without stopping, and had beaten his wife till she half killed her. He listened and read his book, and recalled the whole train of ideas suggested by his reading. It was Tyndall's treatise on heat. He recalled his own criticisms of Tyndall, of his complacent satisfaction in the cleverness of his experiments, and for his lack of philosophic insight. And suddenly there floated into his mind the joyful thought, "'In two years' time I shall have two Dutch cows. Pava herself will perhaps still be alive. A dozen young daughters of Berkut, and then three others. How lovely!' He took up his book again. Very good. Electricity and heat are the same thing. But is it possible to substitute the one quantity for the other in the equation for the solution of the problem? No. Well, then what of it? The connection between all the forces of nature is felt instinctively. It's particularly nice if Papa's daughter should be a red-spotted cow, and all the herd will take after her and the other three, too. Splendid! To go out with my wife and visitors to meet the herd. My wife says Costia and I looked after that calf like a child. How can it interest you so much, says the visitor? Everything that interests him interests me. But who will she be? And he remembered what had happened at Moscow. Well, there's nothing to be done. It's not my fault, but now everything shall go on in a new way. It's nonsense to pretend that life won't let one, that the past won't let one. One must struggle to live better, much better. He raised his head, and fell to dreaming. Old Laska, who had not yet fully digested her delight at his return, and had run out into the yard to bark, came back wagging her tail and crept up to him, bringing in the scent of fresh air, put her head under his hand, and whined plaintively, asking to be stroked. "'There, who'd have thought it?' said Agafea Milovna. "'The dog, now, why, she understands that her master's come home, and that he's low-spirited.' "'Why low-spirited?' 
"'Do you suppose I don't see it, sir? "'It's high time I should know the gentry. "'Why, I've grown up from a little thing with them. "'It's nothing, sir, so long as there's health and a clear conscience.' Levine looked intently at her, surprised at how well she knew his thought. "'Shall I fetch you another cup?' said she, and taking his cup she went out. Laska kept poking her head under his hand. He stroked her, and she promptly curled up at his feet, laying her head on a hind paw. And in token of all now being well and satisfactory, she opened her mouth a little, smacked her lips, and settling her sticky lips more comfortably about her old teeth, she sank into blissful repose. Levine watched all her movements attentively. "'That's what I'll do,' he said to himself. "'That's what I'll do. Nothing's amiss. All is well.'" End of chapter 27 This recording is in the public domain.